0: Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming this morning It's been great to worship here this morning It's been great to greet one another Discuss politics The weather Please have a blue seat. Thank you so much for smiling. I have a dilemma this morning. In anticipation of this, there's always a certain amount of adrenaline that goes through my body. And I accentuate it with caffeine. (laughs) So my mind is saying, slow down, and my body is saying, what are you talking about? So maybe this will be a fast message. (laughs) Before I, I get into this message, it's just something that Pastor Bruce was just talking about, how often we, we uh, focus on the waves in our life instead of God. So my question is, uh, how big is our God in relationship to the circumstances of our life? Now, seriously, how often do we allow those circumstances to become bigger than our God? I believe that freedom is God's promise, I'm going to be sharing with you something that I've been going through for some time. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that you're a big God. I want to thank you, Lord God, that those who know you will be strong and do great exploits. I want to thank you, Lord God, for each person here. Lord, let them know that they are not here by coincidence, that you are a sovereign God, that you are in control. I I pray, God, grant me the words that you want me to speak. Grant us ears to hear. And, Lord, I am tired of being the same. I want to be like your son, Jesus. And I pray your word will do that in each of us today. In your name, amen. I really feel out of place here also because I think this podium is for shorter people. <laughs> Freedom, God's promise. In John eight, thirty one thirty two, <clears throat> Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Romans 6, 16, and 17. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. John eight thirty six. If therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So my question is, is freedom for what? Obviously, it talks about that we can be slaves to sin. I think there's a deeper meaning. Freedom from pain, it's not going to happen. Freedom from our circumstances, it's not going to happen. Freedom from trials, it's not going to happen. What the Lord has been trying to do for me or in me is to be who he has created me to be. I believe that's what freedom is. I believe that's what Jesus died for, that you and I can be who he created us to be. And then freedom to die to myself. Freedom to love and to serve. I don't believe that I can truly die to myself until I allow God to use me the way he wants to use me. That I'm truly who he has created me to be. In Galatians 5.1, it says, Christ has freed us so that we will be free. Stand firm then and don't get caught again under a yoke of slavery. Other versions say, don't get subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't be entangled again into a yoke of slavery. Don't get tied again into a yoke of slavery. And Galatians talks about the spirit of liberty, and ultimately that the fruits of the Holy Spirit are manifested in us. Don't get caught. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul talks about that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and uh, evil forces, wicked places and heavenly places. Satan uses believers. Peter was, hot, was doing pretty good until Jesus said, Satan, get behind me. This Wednesday night, Pastor Bruce, as we were praying, talked about that James and John asked the Lord, uh, when the community that he was going into didn't receive him, should we call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are of. Just because we're believers does not mean that we can't become slaves to Satan or yield to him. Don't get caught. And Satan doesn't necessarily come at us or his demons directly. A lot of times it's indirectly. Just a small temptation. His strategy is to weave his chain around us gradually. A number of years ago, the men used to meet on Saturday morning once a month. And I was confessing my sin. That when people came to my office, if they came to my office in a suit and tie... And back then, businessmen typically did, some years ago. Uh, I would give them more honor and respect than somebody who would come to my office who had long hair and was grubby. I was just confessing that as a sin. And what's really interesting is I used to have long hair. And a good friend of mine at that point says, Well, I have the opposite problem. I've got no time for businessmen who, who come into my presence who are dressed in suits. And I thought, you know what? We all have biases. Those biases turn into strong prejudices then generalizations. Before you know it, we develop a critical attitude of certain people. Satan gradually winds his chain around us. There was a time that I was pretty good at half-truths. You know, half-truths white lies, and then you have lies that you have to have to back up the half lies that you had before. Cover them up. And then you start stealing. Maybe it's just a little thing. You know, you work in an office, you can steal staples or whatever. Before you know it, well, why not? You know, you need, you're going to have staples, you've got to have a stapler. So Satan just gives you the small temptations, and then he winds his chain around. Before you know it, you are a slave to him. If you've had pain, you've had pain. Somebody wounds you. Somebody does something to you, and you are in pain in your heart. And overnight, you think about it. I'm a ruminator, so I'll ruminate about it. And before you know it, it turns into bitterness. And then bitterness turns into unforgiveness. See, a lot, a lot of times Satan does not come at us directly. Of course, you know I just love it where I, I just love it when, when, when people are dating, they love each other and everything is really neat. Um, they decide to get married, they have a great honeymoon. And then in that first year, it's still pretty sweet. But then one of the others says, you know what? You're not created my image, but you're going to be. And then they start disagreeing on certain points. And then they start shooting verbal darts at one another. They start becoming critical. So you go from a sweet honeymoon to the point of divorce where they say, I don't know of anybody that I hate more than you. You see how gradually that happened? Satan is very, very devious. And he can use believers. About a month ago, Jerry and I were at this young couple's house. And... uh, We were going to stay overnight and I I was in one room and I was going to go to bed. I was tired and all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get air into my lungs and I thought thought a number of things. But Jerry was downstairs and I thought, you know what, if I can get to her, at least if I black out, being a former RN and working in intensive care she if possible she could resuscitate me she knows my lips very well (laughs) and I thought I am suffocating I don't know if there's a worse feeling than suffocating as soon as I thought that I thought you know I was aware that this couple is having marital conflicts as soon as I that word came into my mind I thought that's exactly what the enemy is doing to this couple and after he's done with a couple, he's going after their kids. And immediately when that came to mind, I started praying. I prayed in the spirit, and that physical manifestation left. I was able to share that experience with that couple to let them know that there's an enemy that's trying to destroy them, and then he's going after their kids. I think the greatest challenge that we're going to have in the end times is what the Bible calls fretting, worry, anxiety, fear. It says that men's hearts will go faint because of fear. And I believe one of the strongest weapons that the enemy has is fear. We're going to go to Psalm 37. You know, in John 14, 1, Jesus says, do not let your heart be troubled. He's saying, you, don't let your heart be troubled. Do not fret because of evildoers. Be not envious towards wrongdoers. Then there's some advice he gives. I'm going through this very quickly. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. 5, commit your way to the Lord. you want to go into the next uh seven rest in the lord but number eight it says "Cease from anger and forsake wrath do not fret it leads only to evil doing basically if i worry if i fret if i have anxiety in a sense that's a sin says that whatever is not of faith is sin and, and the, the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. When I'm fretting about something, that changes my behavior. And if it involves a person, I become suspicious of the person. I do not believe the best in that person. Then I start thinking evil thoughts about the person, and then I start speaking evil thoughts about that person. Fretting leads to evildoing. Fretting is sin. And I believe the greatest challenge in my life is not to fret, not to worry, not to be fearful of someone or something. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. And quite often, fear is situational. A person who could be intimidating to me, you would look at and you say, you have no clue why that would be. Vice versa, I can see somebody that's intimidating you doesn't bother me. Somehow or another, that person or that situation has got a hook in me or you. You know, for most of my life, I didn't think I had a problem with fear. And when I look back, the reason is is because if I was ever confronted with it, I responded with anger and intimidation. I think maybe I had a spirit of intimidation because people would tell me that I could just look at them and I could intimidate them. I wasn't intentionally trying to do that, in most cases. Um, and some people will say, I've, I've never had a problem with situational fear. I suggest you go to the dictionary and look up the word delusional. How many people leave their jobs because of some fearful situation. Just not getting along with the person. The person's intimidating, manipulative. How about that relationship that you left because of fear? Now, sometimes abs- fear is lo- lo- I mean, it's logical. It's legitimate. But a lot of times, it's not. There's a circumstance you find yourself in because of fear. You leave it. Or maybe you're like me. You use, fear, you use intimidation and anger to deal with it. Or maybe right now you're going through it and you're ignoring it. You're like an alcoholic who's not admitting that he or she has a problem. Or are you concerned about what other people think of you? How many people came today and your motivation or your behavior was dictated by what you thought the other person was thinking about you? That's a form of fear. Everybody has had that problem at one time or another. It doesn't make any difference how old you are. Or you knew that you were supposed to speak your opinion, and you didn't for fear of retribution, some form of punishment. You are not true to yourself. See, God wants us to be who he's created us to be. But the enemy is trying to put chains around us, and fear is a big weapon that he has. We need to be true to ourselves. And if you're going through something like what I'm describing right now, that's a good thing. See, God can speak truth to us on the mountaintop, but it's in the valley of demons that it becomes rooted and ingrained in us. It's just the way it is. So I would encourage you, if you're going through that right now, hopefully you'll get something out of my message but it's a good thing because you can only learn freedom in the valley, in the trials that you go through. Because, you know, if God's word is not true in the valley, it's not going to be true at all. But I know it's true. And God wants his people to walk in freedom, in a greater freedom that you and I have experienced. i become aware of many believers who are in situational fear, Doesn't from all age groups, I think it's really something that God wants us to be set free from in a greater degree. And I believe that every test that we pass, the greater freedom we're going to have. I'm just going to touch on some things that God has shown me as I've been going through this. James 4.7 says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I'm going to go to James 4.7. The problem is, is that we resist the devil, but we're not submitting in areas that God has been pointed, putting his finger on. And it doesn't work that way. You will not be able to resist the devil if you're if you and I are not submitting to God. I think a big one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness requires a lot of energy. It consumes a lot of energy and it it enslaves us. And I think it's very subtle. You may have a problem with somebody, and really you're bordering on unforgiveness. It's so easy to get into that. Unfortunately, too often, we as believers do not do what God is asking us to do in that realm. That is going to somebody and apologizing or asking for forgiveness. And I think that some people don't do that because they're fearful of admitting that they're a failure in that area. They feel shame. Or they rationalize it. And all that's happening is they're remaining enslaved to their unforgiveness and the enemy. I think we say way too much as people, it's called gossip. I think we need to be really careful about what we say. I'm guilty. I'm trying to change in that area. I'm trying to not say a whole lot concerning other people, including those in politics. I remember when our church was going through some significant turmoil in the 90s. This whole sanctuary is full of people. And people had their own positions. You have different groups. And people would stand up and they would speak scripture to to support their perspective. And implicit in that was that somebody else was wrong. And in my mind's eye, in my mind's eye, I felt in the spiritual realm, you have this going on all over in the spiritual realm. The enemy was having a heyday because that type of stuff creates division. That falls into judging people. Really, when you think about it, I'm, when i I'm talk about judging people, I'm talking about criticizing them to put them down. What really does that accomplish other than aiding the enemy? It produces a critical, a critical attitude in people when we do that, a self-righteous attitude that the Lord does not like. I think one of the biggest problems that people have is submitting unto authority. I want to explain something. Jesus is not Republican, and he's not a Democrat. His kingdom is not a republic. It's not a democracy. Now, here's the thing that people have a hard time accepting, is that God is the one that promotes and one that demotes. And he's a king, and his kingdom is a kingdom, and he delegates authority. He uses people for his purposes. When we do not submit to authority, especially in the church, we are grieving Jesus Christ. You and I, when we do that, are opening ourselves up to the enemy. Delusion becomes very significant then. One of the problems that I've had, and I've said this before, is anger. Anger after sunset's not good. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. And do not let the sun go down in your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. I want to read out of the Message Bible that same verse. What this adds up to, then, is this. No more lies, no more pretense. Tell your neighbor the truth. In Christ's body, we're all connected to each other, after all. When you lie to others... You end up lying to yourself. Go ahead and be angry. You do well to be angry. But don't use your anger as fuel for revenge, and don't stay angry. Don't go to bed angry. Don't give the devil the kind of foothold in your life. You know, whether it's anger or these other things that I've talked about, or the issues that you have right now that are enslaving you, these things that we do that God does not like opens the door to the enemy. And when it says, speak truth to one another, no pretense, I think what that's meaning is get real. It's interesting, when people are hurting, they'll find people who are real. God wants us to be real with him and real with one another. I've said this before, when my wife had her brain surgery, one thing I learned, and people ask me how I'm doing, I tell them, you know, it's kind of easy to say, well, I'm doing fine, I'm okay. No, you're not. That's my, my favorite thing is if you ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say, do you have a half hour? When it says, submit unto God, submit unto his word. What's he saying concerning this situation? Resist the devil. What that means is simply resist the temptation. Resist the temptation to criticize. Resist the temptation not to forgive. Submit unto God. What's His word saying? How big is our God? Is He bigger than the circumstance that you find yourselves in, that I find myself in? Resist the temptation. Just as the culmination of sin was the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, sin in you and me will kill the life of Jesus. I've been confronted with evil before directly where the hair in the back of my head has stood up. And then I'm questioning, how am I praying? Am I praying in faith or am I praying in fear? Faith does move spiritual mountains in Jude 20 it says but you beloved building yourselves upon your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit now this is divisive in the church but tongues is a gift from the Holy Spirit and I think that people have a hard time receiving it because the battle does place, take place in the mind you doubt it is this for real And I believe that one reason that this is a difficult area is because Satan knows it's a powerful weapon. He doesn't like it. I remember a number of years ago, a friend of mine was struggling with panic attacks. And I suggested that when they occur, pray in the spirit. Pray in tongues. I I tell you why that's so effective because if you do that, you're stepping right away into faith. Because for you to pray in tongues is a step of faith, it's a biggie. The enemy can tell if you're praying in faith or fear. But when you start praying in tongues, you're automatically going into a step of faith. You know, I've been guilty of this, but I don't believe that we can bind Satan. There's only one place in the Bible that I'm aware of where that occurs, and that's when the angel comes down from heaven and and puts a chain around him and throws him into the abyss. You know, when Michael the archangel in Jude 9 was um, arguing uh, and debating with the devil concerning Moses' body, it says that he did not curse Satan. He did not pronounce a railing judgment against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. His... Mind was set on God. The Lord rebuke you. And, of course, the example of Jesus when he was tempted. He responded by saying, Satan, it's written. In the last temptation, he said, be gone, Satan, for it is written. He would respond with the word of God. Now, I want to tell you something. Satan can give you the scripture, too. You need to discern what he's saying. You need to know the word of God. And that's why I believe that God is trying to ground his church into the word, that you can respond with the written word. I've said this before, too. We need one another. I need a prophetic voice in my life. Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. That's the person who's going to tell you the truth. I believe there's two reasons people will ask you and me for, my, for your or my opinion. That is that they simply want, number one, an affirmation of approval of a decision they've already made. The second reason is more rare, where there's actually looking for correction, for rebuke, or encouragement, true encouragement, to do the right thing. And that requires a mutual, horizontal relationship with somebody in the body of Christ. We need one another, and it's important that we find people that we can trust that will speak the truth into our lives. I've seen it all too often where somebody's going to ask for your opinion or truth, and for fear of hurting them or rejection, you don't tell them the truth. You sympathize with what they're doing instead of saying, you know what, you want to deal with judgment at the throne of judgment, or you want to deal with it now. You want my true opinion, this is what it is. I was listening to uh, Rave Zacharias, who is in the same boat as C.S. Lewis, Oswald Chambers. Incredibly intelligent man. But I am who I am. I'm not in the same boat as he is. But he said Solomon had no prophetic voice in his life. He says, I've studied this. He says, you know, King David had Nathan the prophet. And when David... Uh, had uh, uh, that uh, illicit affair with Bathsheba and then was responsible for her husband's death, Nathan came to him. Basically, through a parable, he he rebuked him and, and immediately King David repented. Ahab was probably one of the most wicked kings in Israel. His wife was Jezebel. And Elijah was the prophet in his life. And the prophet came to him, basically pronounced evil that was going to occur to him because of how wicked he was. And Ahab repented in ash and sackcloth. And the Lord told Elijah, he has repented. Go tell him that this isn't going to happen to him, what I have pronounced. It's going to happen to his descendants, but not him. Jehoshaphat had Jehu. Jeroboam had Ahijah. I mean, Solomon relied on his wisdom. He did not have a prophetic voice in his life. And he had an excessive passion for women. 700 wives, 300 mistresses? Come on! Can you imagine men being in an auditorium with 1,000 women? I wouldn't have a clue who most of them are. He had an excessive passion for women. He actually had a materialistic problem, too. I mean, it took him 13 years to build his house. And worst of all, towards the end of his life, the women in his life turned his heart away from the Lord. He didn't have a friend who was faithful to wound him. He did not have a prophetic voice in his life. About a month ago, I was struggling with something, and I, I felt this is what the Lord wanted me to do, but I had some oppression. And Kerry gave me a call. He said, I was just prompted to, to call you and, and say, get going. And I thought, man. See, the prophetic voice can be encouraging also, as well as corrective. And I knew this is exactly what the Lord wanted me to do, and I was determined to do it. You know, I've been asking for the Lord to fill me full of his love. We sang about it this morning. I mean, I, I was reading Isaiah 53. Read that. I mean, here, he's, he's a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Now, you and I will have grief, but we'll never be acquainted with grief like he was. You and I will never comprehend what it was like for him to take on all your and my sin. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. What kind of love is that? It's a perfect love. As it says in 1 John four eighteen. love has no fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and he who fears has not been perfected in love but I can have his perfect love in me. Again, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood because we, we tend to personalize it when, when the enemy, so to speak, or people are making wrong choices that hurt us. But we're dealing with principalities and powers. Do you remember when this came out a number of years ago? Was it Bill Weiss? Was it 13 Minutes in Hell or whatever? Something like that. And he was describing how bad it was And he says, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. We have to have an eternal perspective. We really have to see. God wants us to know more and more and more his love. Love closes the door on the enemy. Love sets us free and others free. In Galatians 5.15 in the Message Bible, you're not going to have that, Taylor. It says, Loving others as yourself is the true freedom. Loving others as myself is true freedom. And I want you to understand that love is a battle. And when God asks us to love our enemies, that's what separates us from the rest of the world. Now, have you ever prayed this? Lord, please help me love everybody. Please help me love everybody. He loves that prayer because he sends a person in your life that is irritating the heck out of you. That person's a manipulator, intimidator. Love your enemies. True freedom is loving others as yourself. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to see the love that you have for us that we can love others. And I want to tell you something there's a difference between befriending somebody and loving one another. You can love people and not be their friends. You see this with believers. See, if there's an elephant in the room and the other person refuses to deal with it, an issue, you ever met people that have never, ever, ever, ever apologized, never, ever, ever asked for forgiveness? You can do that, but if the other person doesn't, there's an elephant in the room. It's hard to be friends with somebody, but you can love them. You can love them with Christ love. God wants us to acknowledge him in every place, to set him before us in every place. It's easy to sense God's presence in worship and in prayer. It's another thing when you are the log in the fire. Now, what has it been it has been said that Life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to that situation. In 1 Corinthians 8.6, says that, For us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things. From whom are all things. See, I believe that God does orchestrate our lives. And I believe that the circumstances that we find ourselves in Are orchestrated by God. And that person who irritates you is placed there by God to help us become more like Jesus. All things are from Him. We exist for Him. We have one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things. And we exist through Him. The only reason you and I are breathing is because of Jesus Christ. You say, where's the freedom? The freedom is in the circumstance. How will we respond? If I trust the Lord, I'm going to have freedom. He will be my deliverer. He will guard me. When I choose not to trust him, I become my own deliverer. And he will not guard me. Every circumstance in our life, we can choose to either trust in Jesus Christ or not to. That's my, my question at the beginning of this sermon was, how big is our God? Do we really know him? Is he really in control of your life and my life? How much does he really care about me? So much that he sent his only begotten son I have to admit that I am an atheist. So are you. Because there's areas in your life and my life where we do not believe God. That's the honest truth. But he is working in my life. I know he's working in your life. He wants us to trust and acknowledge him in every circumstance that we truly have the freedom that he died for. When I am true to myself, I can then begin to die to myself. Because my focus isn't on what other people think. It isn't on that circumstance. It's on God. And I know who he is. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. If we choose to guard our life, if we choose to be our own deliverer, we will lose it. Gee, I really think you're losing it. A little humor there. But if we lose our life for Jesus, we will have it. We will keep it. We need to be willing and determined to hand our life over to Jesus Christ. And I want to emphasize something here. Willing and determined. There's nothing easy about what I've been talking about. But God has given us a free will and the ability to be determined to give our life over to Jesus Christ. Jesus was never worried or anxious about anything because he wasn't after his own agenda. His purpose was to fulfill the purpose of God the Father. God has a purpose for you, and he has it for me. And if our determination is his purposes, we will enjoy the freedom that he died for. And as far as his purposes, it's not in the future, it's today. He's a now God. He wants us to be dependent on him and his power now. Bobby Dylan was a, a singer in my time in the 60s and 70s. And I don't remember the name of the song, but he said, you're going to have to serve somebody. We're going to have to serve somebody. As believers, I know it's our heart's desire that we serve Jesus Christ. I know that it's his desire that we have a freedom that we've never experienced before. To love and to serve him. I want you and me to be who God has created to be, me to be and for you to be. In every circumstance and around every person, freedom isn't free. You've heard that before. But thank God it's already been paid for. Jesus Christ on the cross paid the ultimate price that you and I can have freedom. It was for freedom's sake that Jesus Christ died. And it's in that relationship with him that we can have the freedom that he wants us to have. My prayer is that we would have a more intimate relationship with him truly knowing how big of a God he really is. I've talked about some of the things that need to be done in my life. I need prophetic voices in my life. I need to be accountable to people. I'm asking God to fill me with his love. I'm asking God to help me to acknowledge him in every circumstance. I'm asking God to help me to walk in faith, to watch what I'm saying and what I'm doing, that I would not open up the door to the enemy. You know something? I've had the, had the opportunity to meditate on this for some time and you're just kind of hearing this, but I know this is an issue. I've seen it all too often that you and I are not who God created us to be because of some form of anxiety or fear or worry. That is not God's will for you and me. Scripture says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. If sin's an issue, he can clean that away. He can wipe it away. He wants us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we be healed. I'm not saying that every time that you and I sin, we need to go to somebody. That can be a crutch. But it is healthy to do that because, you know, when we confess our sin to one another, it brings it into the light. And one of the enemy's strategies is to keep you behind that stronghold so he can continue to play with your mind. He can manipulate your mind bring you condemnation, bring you shame. But when you bring it into the light, the walls of that stronghold begin to crumble. I want to take some time to pray. I want you to know that whatever you're going through, whatever temptation that you're going through, the scripture says it's common to man. But even in that temptation, God is faithful and will not allow you or I to be tempted beyond what we're able. I want uh, the elders and deacons to to be here to pray with you. Some of you are actually fearful about coming down here to pray. It's like, people are going to look at you. You got a problem? We all got a problem. Don't allow the enemy to persuade you to stay behind that stronghold. God wants to set people free today. Is it going to be all at once? Nope. What I'm talking about is not easy. It's going to take some steps to do that. But every test that we pass, we're going to enjoy greater freedom. As I said, I need people in my life to pray for me, to encourage me, to correct me, to listen to my sin. That I can enjoy greater freedom. You can't do this on your own. The enemy would like you to try and do it. It's not going to work. And today God is saying, I want to give you greater freedom. Greater freedom. Greater freedom. Greater freedom. So I'm going to end this in prayer. I want you to take some time and think about this. Because I know everybody here is, to one degree or another, dealing with the issue of fear, anxiety, fretting, worry. God wants to set you free to a greater degree today. Father, I want to thank you for this word. I want to thank you, Lord God, for your grace. And, Lord, I know this is a word. You, in your word, said that in the end times, men's hearts are going to grow faint Because of fear. But that is not your will for your church. It's your desire that your church would be strong and do mighty exploits because we know you. Lord, you are bigger than any circumstance that we're in. Any relationship problem, any financial problem, any health problem. Lord, you're a big God. And today, Lord God, I pray in this body, Lord, for each of us that we would experience a greater freedom, that freedom that Jesus Christ died for. You so loved the world that you sent Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. I can't imagine, Lord. I can't imagine. But that's how great your love is, that people would be set free to be who you created each of us to be, and then, Lord, to give our lives completely over to you that we can trust you because you're a big God. Father, I pray your blessings on each person here. I pray that each of them would to a greater degree know your love and the freedom you died for. In Jesus' name, amen.